With the first pick in your fantasy baseball draft in 2012, you will be selecting answer to come very shortly. We have a new number one. It's Wednesday, January 25th, and we podcasted yesterday, and I didn't expect to be back on the air for another week, but yesterday we were like, oh, why can't Prince Fielder just sign somewhere? And then, of course, three hours later, he signs with the Tigers for nine years, $214 million. Welcome, everybody. Adam Scott now here. Follow us on Twitter at Al Melk CBS, Al M-E-L-C CBS at CBS Scott White and at Adam Azer, A-I-Z-E-R. Send us your emails, fantasybaseball at cbsinteractive.com. Fantasybaseball at cbsinteractive.com. Put podcasts in the subject line. We will not be getting to emails today. We're going to do a short show really just to talk about Prince Fielder going to the Tigers and to do four more player disagreements. And I'm going to guess your feelings on these guys and see if I can go four for four like I did last time. Uh, Anyway, let's start with Prince Fielder. So he signs this mega deal, nine years, $214 million. Last season, 38 home runs, hit 299, drove in 120, scored 95 runs. He plays almost every game. He's going to be just 29 this year. Scott, value up, down, or the same for Prince Fielder? I would say the same. He's going to a similar situation he was in in Milwaukee in that he's going to have another superstar in the lineup with him. Um, it's it's going to be a contender. If anything, it helps his, his long-term value because he's going to have the DH spot available to him as he gets older, but right now that's not even really a consideration. So uh, Prince Fielder was projected to go in the second round as a top-five first baseman, and I think both of those still apply to him. Yeah, and uh, I've been working this morning on updating projections. Uh, Fielder got a little bit of a, a value bump in our projections, a little more run production. Um, you know, going to a stadium that's a little less hitter-friendly, I don't think that's going to have any real impact in fantasy. So, yeah, I think just, you know, being in that lineup with Miguel Cabrera is going to help him a little bit. So <sighs> let's get yeah. to let's talk the about bigger the news. stuff here. Well, the regular baseball world may have been, you know, going crazy over the Prince Fielder signing. The bigger fantasy headline for me is what it means for Miguel Cabrera. He is now our number one overall player, so you would take him first in the draft. I would. And, and, and why is that? And the reason why is because, in a surprise to me, and, and I'm sure to a lot of people, the plan is for him, him to play third base, move back to his old position. He apparently got in shape in the offseason, whatever that means, and the Tigers think he'll be able to handle it. So... It going from the deepest position in fantasy first base to what we've been saying is still one of the weaker ones at third third base, regaining eligibility there within the first week of the season if you play in a standard CBSSports.com league. Um, you know, we've been saying all along the advantage Jose Bautista has over Albert Pujols. The reason why we're calling Jose Bautista the best player was because he's eligible at third base. Now that Miguel Cabrera has that same advantage... Uh, well, why he, is he better than Bautista? Because he is. I, I mean, that's he's he and if if you were just looking for the best, <laughs> because he is. If, if you, you can't were just argue with that. For the best pure hitter in the game, and and you know position scarcity, none of that mattered. It would come down to Albert Pujols or Miguel Cabrera. The problem was they played first base. Jose Bautista didn't, so he went ahead of him. Um, he, he deserved to go ahead of him, according to Al and I. But now that that's not going to be an issue. Miguel Cabrera is going to have that same advantage Jose Bautista has, positionally speaking. Then, obviously, the 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 pure hitter uh, he, that he is, he's the best player in fantasy. Is he going to be eligible day one at third base? No. He, or he has to play, what, five games? 
He has to play five games. Okay. And, and so there, it's, it's going to require a certain leap, leap of faith from fantasy owners to draft him with the expectation that he is going to play third base. Fortunately, uh, you know, if you draft toward the end of March, you're going you're gonna to see this all play out over spring training. You're going you're gonna to have a chance to make sure that the Tigers don't back down from this. They don't put him back at the high corner and, and realize he can't handle it and say, oh, okay, we need to rethink this. True. Uh, it, you're going to know. It's going to be even more certain than it is today, and today it seems pretty certain. Al, is there any other fantasy impact here for the Tigers or the Brewers? Uh, nothing major. I mean, for the Brewers, no, because we knew that fielder wasn't coming back to the Brewers. For the Tigers, um, you know, really, uh, Brandon Inge loses the little bit of value that he had. That's that's all. <sighs> I feel like they should DH one of these guys. I think they might really regret putting him at third base. Well, you know, we actually talked about this a little bit this morning because obviously at least this season the Tigers can change their mind. You know, they have that flexibility without Victor Martinez to worry about. They can do that. Next year, obviously, that's a different story unless they can move B-Mart. Uh, he'll be the DH in 2013. But, yeah, I mean, they have some flexibility where, you know, they've got Ryan Rayburn who can, you know, either be a DH or an outfielder or a second baseman. They've got some options. That does worry me a little bit, but, you know, Cabrera will get his five games. Exactly. Last That's the key. question. Are you worried that their defense is going to be bad and that it could affect the pitchers? I do. I think this is, you know, it's a good point because, yeah, I, I skated over the fact I was thinking about hitters it would impact. Right, Brandon right. But, yeah, probably not a great development for Rick Porcello, who's a, <laughs> a, a ground ball pitcher. Uh, what about Doug Fister? I, I don't. Yeah. You know, he's a, he's a guy who pitches to contact, exactly. obviously. So uh, somebody who looked like he was gaining a lot of value toward the end of last year might be a little scarier now. Mm-hmm. Right, we have time to think about that stuff, but it's definitely something to keep in mind. But this is a huge signing, and the AL is going to be interesting. These teams are spending money, huh? Uh, okay, let's get into the disagreements here. We've got four guys to talk about today, and we'll start out with Tampa Bay pitcher Jeremy Hellickson. 13-10 and 10 with a 2.95 ERA last year. Only 117 strikeouts in 189 innings. So I think Scott doesn't like Hellickson this year. Oh, the streak oh, is over. Oh, oh, for one wow. today. <laughs> <laughs> I know you like strikeouts. I do um, like strikeouts. All right, go ahead. And talk I, about I, them. I think I know where you're going, so let's, let's see if I'm right about okay. this. Okay, well, I, I just think... <laughs> A lot of people look at that strikeout rate Hellickson put up as a rookie last year, less than six per nine innings. It, it's it's not a good strikeout rate. But the thing is, this guy was the second best pitching prospect in baseball last season, and he won AL Rookie of the Year. I, I mean, you, you really can't live up to the hype, I feel like, more than he did. I understand that strikeout rate was low. I understand the BABIP was historically low, and that a lot of people are worried, well, that means you know he can't possibly sustain that 295 ERA or whatever. My my point on him is twofold. One, considering his talent, his pedigree, everything he's supposed to be, his minor league track record, blah blah blah. He's going to strike out more batters this year. Uh, he, yeah, I'm not saying he's going to be a strikeout per inning guy, but as he gains experience, I, I see that strikeout rate going up. the The second thing with him is he doesn't necessarily have to repeat that 2.95 ERA to improve his fantasy stock. He's he uh, if he gets over 200 innings, which he should, considering as many as he pitched last year. Um, if he improves that strikeout rate, however much I think he will, um, 
and and if his win total rises, which with the the, num- the extra number of innings, there's a good chance it would too. Suddenly, he's going to move up a whole tier in the starting pitcher rankings, which is what you would expect someone of his pedigree to do in a second full big league season. So, this is kind of the same argument. I made uh, about David Price last season where it looked like his ERA was unsustainably low. Turns out he wasn't able to repeat that ERA, but he also increased his strikeouts. I, I believe he pitched more innings too, and, and now he has uh, even more value uh, going into this season than he did going into last season. I think Hellickson's going to follow that same pattern. If you draft him as your third starting pitcher, he's not going to disappoint you. All right. Well, um, yeah. That, I, I, well, actually, you didn't go where I thought you were going to go. I thought you were going to say, well, Hellickson showed in the minor leagues that he could be a strikeout guy. He was going to go back to that. Um, well, it kind of went that way. So, but um, you know, <laughs> but you, you know, you bring in the innings. I mean, here's the here's the thing that worries me about Hellickson, and you mentioned already some of the things I worry about: the really, really low BABIP, which I think he'll. He'll profile as a low BABIP guy, but not yeah. a, a 220, maybe a 270 or a 280. Right. That's a big, big difference. Um, and then when the BABIP goes up, that also means you know more guys clogging the bases. That means lower strand rate. It's, it's, a, it's a series of dominoes. Now, you mentioned Price. Price had that same sort of domino effect last year, but Price was better primed to take those steps forward, I think, in terms of the strikeout rate and the walk rate. Uh, I worry more about Hellickson with that for, for one simple reason, that I've seen him quoted as saying that he consciously changed his approach last season, that he didn't want to be as much of a strikeout guy, that he you know did want to you know induce some contact and, and you know, let his infield help him out more. And that concerns me that he won't necessarily get back to where he was as a minor leaguer with those strikeout numbers and with more contact. You know, I, I, yeah, he'll get some bump in terms of innings. He did pitch 189 last year, so I don't know that there's that much more ceiling for him to get to. Over 200. Yeah, but that's, you know, so, you know, 12, 15 more innings, a couple, more. two, three more starts, maybe. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's going to be a really small impact compared to all the extra guys that he's likely to um, put on base this year. Where are you drafting him, real quick? Middle rounds. I know that's kind of vague. I, I originally ranked him as my 33rd starting pitcher. So, you know, around. Uh, uh, the Matt Garza range, uh, Ubaldo Jimenez range, something like that. Al, and you know, yeah, a little bit later than that. I mean, I have him, you know, my, you said 30, what? 33. 33. Yeah, I've got him 46. That would be a low end number four. Um, so l- later mid rounds. Okay. Toronto catcher JP Aaron Sibia, not a lot of average, 219, but 23 home runs. Drove in 78 last year. Al? Oh, ooh, I have to guess. Yeah, take a guess. Let's see if you can get back Al. on track. Does not like JP Aaron. Oh, what's what's going Ice on today? today? What'd you have oh, for, for, for two. breakfast? <laughs> I had the I had the breakfast that was in the cafeteria this morning. You know, I had the bagels. I don't know. This must be regression yeah. to the mean. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. There you. Yeah. And uh, no, I, lo- I like Aaron Sibia's power a lot. Um, I mean, he there is a, a threat to him in terms of uh, Travis Darno. Uh, you know, kind of breathing down his neck. But uh, I still think you know if you've got a guy who's got major league skills and Aaron Sibia does, he has really uh, very good power hitting skills for a catcher uh, he will find his at bats you know whether that means that the Jays move him at the deadline or uh, that delays uh, Darno's uh, entry into the majors or he gets worked in as a backup I just think Aaron Sibby is going to find his at bats and he's going to continue to hit for power uh, you know, in a good stadium, in a good lineup for that. I, I just, you know, the batting average is never going to be great for Ansibia. Yeah. But uh, so, where I, do you know where you rank him? 
Uh, I would say... I think you had him as a number 11 once Victor Martinez that, went down. I, I was going to say borderline number one, number two. In, in reality, even if the numbers say he's 11th or 12th, I probably would go for somebody else as a number one because of my concern about Darno. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, it, it, let me put this way. It wouldn't be completely unthinkable that I draft him as a number one. Okay. Okay. And Scott, I definitely wouldn't draft him as a number one. Um, and really, it seems like the, the fundamental difference between the two of us is that I think there is the potential for Aaron Sibia to lose his at-bats uh, completely. Now, obviously, he hit only 219 last year. He was under 200 uh, since the beginning of June. Strikes out every third at-bat. So I really don't have any hope for him to ever hit for batting average, like Al said. Uh, a lot of people point to the power potential. Oh, he hit 23 home runs as a rookie. That means, you know, he could get up to 25, 30, whatever as a catcher. But the thing is, he's already 26. He doesn't have that much room to improve because he's already right there in the thick of his prime. If this downward trend in batting average continues uh, because major league pitchers learn to exploit those holes in a st- swing that help him rack up those high strikeout numbers, then I don't think the Blue Jays are going to have much incentive to stick with him, considering Travis Darno is already of major league age, is a much better prospect. Uh, I could see Aaron Sibia being one of those flash-in-the-pan type guys who uh, you know, is able to get by on his power potential right away, but really just doesn't have enough offensive capability to hold down a job. And even if he does hold down the job, I don't know that I want a 220 hitter on my fantasy team anyway. Fair enough. Let's go to Cleveland. Jason Kipnis, 272, seven home runs, 19 RBIs in 36 games last year with five steals. And Scott White hates Jason Kipnis. <laughs> 0 for 3. <laughs> 0 for 3 is Adam Azer. I am a Jason Damn. Kipnis fan. Uh, those seven homers in 136 at-bats last year. Yeah, I'll be the first to say that's too good to be true. You shouldn't expect those power numbers from him, particularly at this stage of his career. But you should expect some power numbers from him. And in addition to those power numbers, you mentioned the five steals he had during that stretch. That tends to go overlooked. Um, it, he the, the two things he didn't do during his time in the majors last year that he did throughout his minor league career, hit for average and draw locks. He was a career two ninety seven hitter in the minors. We didn't see that in the majors yet. Yeah, that, I think that's partially due to small sample size, partially due to inexperience. I think over a full season we'll, we'll see him come closer to those numbers, which will make up for any loss in power. So to me, you're looking at maybe a 15-homer, 20-steal guy. Uh, you know, Best-case scenario, a 20-20 guy who is going to get on base at a decent clip. And you know, for a late-round middle infielder, that's about as good as it gets. Yeah, and um, I, you know, I'm not exactly sure that we disagree as much as maybe we thought. But you know, I think we have the same basic analysis that the power is definitely not going to be what it was last year. That was definitely a small sample fluke. I just see him more flatlining with the batting average than taking the step forward. And I'm actually I'm looking at the minor league numbers right now. In AAA, he hit 282. Now you would expect him to have some adjustment to the major leagues, but yeah, in single A and in double A, he was above a 300 hitter. But I'm just not buying the 350 plus BABIPs from those seasons. He just doesn't profile that way. And those numbers often do not translate from the lower levels of the minors to the upper minors. So I trust that AAA uh, stat line from him, him more, which has the lesser power and and the more middle-of-the-road batting average. So I think that's what you're going to see. I could but see- he'll walk more, right? He'll walk more. 
yeah, probably. I still just don't see that as, as making a, a real significant difference, uh, even in head-to-head form. So I just think, uh, you know, people are going to read too much into the power last year, and they may expect a step forward in batting average. Yeah. Where I see at best, yeah. he's going to he's going to hold steady. Late there. rounder, you don't you don't want to reach for him. Yeah, I agree. Last guy we'll talk about is Texas closer Joe Nathan. I, I know we spoke about him not too long ago, so I should know how you guys feel, but I can't remember anything. I was going to say I can't remember what I had for breakfast today, but we all know that's not true because I already said what I had for <laughs> breakfast today. This. This came up when we were trying to hammer out our United rankings, and, and we just discovered, oh, we don't really? see eye to eye on Nathan. All right. Al, man, I've been negative with all of my predictions, so I'm going to say Al likes Joe Nathan. Oh, you <laughs> saved it. You snatched <laughs> yes. victory from the jaws of defeat. Day. <laughs> yeah, here's, here's the thing. Um, you know, for, for both hitters and pitchers, there's some stats that, that, trans, that translate or correlate well year to year and others that fluctuate a bunch. And, you know, the main thing is, is you know, contact and strike zone judgment. For, for Nathan, you know, those are the things that tend to stay steady year to year. And Nathan, even coming off of the Tommy John, you know, he was pretty much pretty close to the normal Joe Nathan last year um, with striking out close to a batter per inning, uh, you know, the walk rate under three per nine. That Those are Joe Nathan-type numbers. And what really messed him up and gave him an ERA close to five, you know, uh, a much higher rate of home runs, which stemmed from a much higher rate of, of uh, fly balls, rather, and really, really poor strand rate. Hmm. And I just think that, you know, given that the things that you would expect to stay constant were still good, and the things that can just fluctuate for you know basically no reason at all fluctuated in a bad direction. I think he's going to be a good guy to count on for a rebound, and I think he'll be back to if not where he was before Tommy John surgery. He's going to be pretty close. I can't really argue with any of those specific points, but to me, there's a certain common sense element I see here uh, that goes beyond the numbers, and, and that is. You know, as much as Nathan seemed to improve over the course of the season, his first year back from Tommy John surgery, his velocity never got quite back to the point it used to be. And at age 37, I think it's safe to say it's not going to. He's working with lesser stuff. Uh, you know, he had a 338 ERA over his final 31 appearances, which is, is good enough. It's, it's enough for him to be a competent closer in fantasy. But he's going to Texas, which is you know, a hard place to pitch, particularly if he was giving up more homers last year. And he's going to a, a stacked bullpen where the Rangers have so many fallback options they could go to if there is the slightest lapse in Nathan's production. They have Mike Adams. They have Koji Uehara, at least for right now. Uh, you know, Alexi Ogando, Neftali Feliz in the in the starting rotation. If 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 they don't pan out, or if if they need more bullpen help, they can always bring those guys back in. I, I just think Nathan is uh, it has such a such a thin margin for error, and uh, you know he's at an age where he's obviously more likely to take a step back than step forward. Tougher park, all of that. I, I think at best you're talking about a competent reliever, a low-end number two guy in fantasy, and I'd be fine drafting him there. I just don't see this major push for him to bounce back and become the elite reliever he used to be. Done for today. Thank you, guys. We had to do a little bit of a briefer show today, but I'm glad we were able to talk about Prince Fielder without having to wait a week. So uh, everybody send us your emails at fantasybaseball at cbsinteractive.com, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a great one.